I'm Jason Mitchell, sustainability strategist for Man Group. You're listening to Perspectives Towards a Sustainable Future, a podcast about what we're doing today to build a more sustainable world tomorrow. Do you know what your savings or pension fund is invested in? More to the point, do you believe that what it's invested in reflects your values? Over the past decade, investors, both institutional and individual, have increasingly recognized that values and norms play an important role in the investment world. In fact, many investors have designed strategies that specifically exclude sectors they see as unsustainable or not responsible. Campaigns have also encouraged divestment. Think of the fossil-free movement. Or more recently, the discussion by a number of teachers' retirement funds on whether to potentially divest their ownership in gunmakers following last month's tragic school shooting in Florida. Similarly, investors are also reviewing the tobacco industry, where many are discovering that a strong policy framework supports the tobacco-free investment case. In 2005, the World Health Organization established the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control. It marked the world's first legally binding health treaty with support from 181 countries. The United Nations Global Compact and the UN Sustainable Development Goals also reinforced the convention's policy tobacco measures. But while engaging with companies, even in controversial industries, can sometimes lead to better outcomes, think of reforms that improve business practices, that approach is inherently limited when it comes to engaging with tobacco manufacturers. So stay tuned for how Tobacco-Free Portfolios is working to raise awareness about the regulatory, health, and investment risks for the tobacco industry. Welcome to Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future. I'm Jason Mitchell, Sustainability Strategist for Man Group. I'm here today with Dr. Rachel Melsom. Rachel is a doctor at Worthing Hospital in West Sussex. She's also Director of UK and Europe at Tobacco-Free Portfolios. Tobacco-Free Portfolios is a nonprofit whose mission is to inform, prioritize, and advance knowledge of the negative impact of tobacco and promote tobacco-free investment in all portfolios across the globe. Welcome, Rachel. It's great that you're here. Thank you. Um, to start off with, could you give us a few minutes on your background and why tobacco has sort of emerged as such an important issue to you? Sure. Um the reason I ended up working with tobacco-free portfolios is partly because of my work as a doctor and partly because prior to becoming a doctor, I'd worked uh, across a number of sectors, including uh, media and finance. And what I wanted to do was to try and pull together the impact of finance on uh, the way that medicine is practiced. Um, and in order to do that, I felt that understanding the way medicine worked, understanding what funded it, and how the impact of medicine was affected by the levels of funding uh, was a useful way to progress. Now, that seems like a wordy way to say, why go and study for four years mm -hmm. at medicine in your 40s to then come to that conclusion. However, that, that's how I ended up working uh, with tobacco-free portfolios, a combination of backgrounds that pulled it in together. Great. Um, one of the big issues with responsible investment today is how we engage with sectors, industries, companies around certain issues, whether it's the oil industry or the tobacco industry. Um, why is that shareholder engagement approach not applicable in your mind with the tobacco industry? Well, when it comes to the tobacco industry, the reason I think that we would normally engage with a company is to try to find ways to improve the product 
to improve the levels of, of profit generated from that product, to increase the number of individuals using the product, as therefore the distribution and the number of markets it's available in. And none of those single things I could say should be true or could be true of the tobacco product that we're all familiar with. Um, and in addition to that, when I say engage and what we normally do, we're looking to improve. And when we look at tobacco, it's a toxic product. It causes the early death of two out of three of its users when used as intended. And there is nothing about that that is, that is going to change. Therefore, engagement is, is futile. And in fact, the UN principles state that engaging with the tobacco industry is not appropriate or permissible. Interesting. Um, what's also interesting is sort of the origin story of tobacco-free portfolios. When you look at other movements, um, the uh, fossil-free sort of uh, carbon divestment movement, and that sort of came out of U.S. universities and colleges, and, and it sort of expanded most recently to the U.K. for fossil-free U.K. But... Uh, what kind of parallels are there to tobacco-free? Well, I think tobacco-free portfolios was created and founded by a doctor, Dr. King, and she's a radiation oncologist, and she works in one of the largest cancer hospitals in the world. And she realized uh, inadvertently that her pension was invested in tobacco when she was told to go and work out her finances. And on discovering that, realized that not only was every day of her life spent in trying to cure people from the effects of tobacco, um, but that she was also contributing to it. And that was a, a, a very a vivid realization. And when she came to that, she immediately decided to approach that particular fund to see what could be done about it. So she started with, a, with just a vision of making sure that her money wasn't invested in tobacco. And then when she realized that everybody's money was in tobacco, it sort of rolled out naturally across a number of other funds through, through introductions because she had a very sensible conversation with her pension fund around why they were investing in tobacco, what the impact of tobacco was, and whether or not it was appropriate to continue to have that investment. And that's, that's sort of the underlying cause. So it's the very real viewing of a patient that is suffering, the family around them who are also suffering and continue to suffer when that patient has died. Because the unfortunate truth of uh, tobacco is that the majority of cancers that are caused by tobacco are the ones that are most prominent in our minds are uh, lungs and throat, and they don't have a very long prognosis, i.e. you don't live very long once you've been diagnosed. Mm. And for yourself, how did you become part of the movement? Uh, I was lucky. I was talking to uh, a colleague who also works in pensions. We were looking at medical applications of technology because my previous world was, was media and technology along with the financial side. He was looking to pull together uh, finance, medicine, social care, and so on. And he happened to meet Dr. King, who was looking for a doctor who also got understood finance. And he introduced us. And that's, that's how I ended up with tobacco-free portfolios. But I had also very recently been working in a hospice prior to that and, and had to explain to a very young gentleman in his early 50s who was dying with esophageal cancer exactly how he was going to die and what that entailed because he wanted to go home so he needed to be able to manage that uh, and you know it, it's not pretty when somebody has esophageal cancer that you bleed out unfortunately into your lungs so you effectively drown in your own blood and that tends to be a very distressing experience both for the patient and for those around them and that sort of solidified with my my 
knowledge of other individuals who had died from tobacco-related disease that this was really something that we needed to kind of put a stop to. Mm. One thing that's interesting about tobacco is the fact that I don't think many people are aware that there really is, you know, a well-established legal framework, the World Health Organization Framework Convention on Tobacco Control uh, from 2005 um, that, that in a very ambitious way, sort of set about uh, uh, rules, you know, in terms of regulating tobacco. Mm. Um, Can you talk about some of those and, Mm. and, and what could be improved from that original framework? So the, the framework is, is excellent and it covers an awful lot of, of areas that, that tobacco uh, it touches. Um, it's also known as the UN Treaty on Tobacco and there are multiple organisations uh, who unfortunately don't know that this treaty exists. So you know, one of the key things that, that the, the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control and the actual treaty itself needs to do is to, is to raise the awareness of its existence um, because once those uh, those parties that uh, can contribute to uh, increasing tobacco control are aware of it. Inevitably, they do. They simply aren't aware of it at the moment. So the key parts that are effective and known to be effective are uh, tax increases from governments and substantial tax increases on a very regular basis rather than small tax increases. Uh, The impact on marketing and promotion. We we here in the UK um, and most of Europe no longer see marketing for tobacco, no TV ads, no press ads, uh, it's not on uh, uh, the Formula One races or at the football, uh, but in the developing world that's not the case. That is a key part of the framework and in order to help those countries develop uh, their ability to hold back the marketing of tobacco and to prevent their youth starting smoking, we need to help them implement it. But the key elements are, are raising awareness, changing the things like the packaging. Uh, now here we have plain packaging, which is very off-putting to smokers, increasing regulation of where and how where people can smoke, and increasing the price. The single most effective measure in reducing smoking rates is increasing the price. And that generally comes from a government perspective through tax. Do you think, like, say, the response by governments to this convention is stronger or weaker now relative to 2005? Stronger, much stronger. Yeah, it's an increasing amount of regulation. It's, it's rolled, more and more of this regulation is rolled out annually. In the last uh, year and a half, we've seen plain packaging introduced in the UK, in Ireland, in France. Um, it's being implemented in Holland. Uh, it is rolling out across Europe and across uh, the rest of the world. The difficulty in implementing the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control is the extent of the uh, influence that the tobacco companies have on governments to prevent its implementation. Um, And there are very well-known cases, indeed there is one with the Serious Fraud Office at the moment in the UK, of a very large tobacco company having been bribing officials to prevent them from implementing Mm. uh, the UN Treaty. And that's what stands in the way of tobacco control from a government perspective. Extensive lobbying. How do you think... uh the United Nations uh, SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, sort of helping in this effort to go either tobacco-free or to sort of reinforce some of the regulations. Yeah. I, I personally think they're fantastic, and, and tobacco-free portfolios as, a, as an entity also thinks uh, that they are enormously helpful. Uh, Twelve, at least 12, of the 17 SDGs are negatively impacted 
by tobacco. So our ability to achieve them is reduced if we continue to invest in tobacco. And it really helps crystallize for investors um, exactly where that impact is felt all across a number of those SDGs. So when we're looking at poverty and we look at the percentage of disposable income that is uh, spent in countries like Thailand on tobacco, it is in excess of the amount spent on fish, meat, eggs and milk combined. So we've got sort of 11% going on those products and 13% on tobacco. So we're not aiding uh, our achievement of the goal of of no poverty. Um, Food scarcity, if we continue to grow tobacco in places where food could be grown and we are generating food scarcity, so we are contributing to hunger. So achieving no hunger as a goal, not going to happen if we continue to invest. There's deforestation, there's pollution, um, there's gender inequality because you know kids have to go and work on the tobacco farms in uh, poorer countries. And whilst we all recognise that child labour is an issue across a number of products, when it comes to tobacco, we not only have the children working on the farms, but there is also green tobacco sickness. So they're getting sick from working on the farms. And inevitably, if you you know have to pick between the children and you're from a very poor family and you can only afford one to go to school, then inevitably there is going to be gender equality featuring in in which of the children is chosen. Um, So it goes across a whole raft of areas. So highlighting the issues that are pertinent to tobacco, fantastic in relation to SDGs, very clear uh, goals and very clear how they cannot be achieved if we continue to invest. Mm. Uh, One of the big success stories, at least regionally, is Australia. Um, you know, it said that uh, roughly 60% of, of the uh, Australian superannuation funds are now tobacco-free. Um, I guess I'm wondering, um, what is it about Australia that, that sort of tobacco-free has re- resonated so powerfully? And, you know, can you sort of draw out maybe distinctions regionally for where we see adoption of tobacco-free next? Mm. Australia leads globally in tobacco control. So they are way ahead of the rest of the world and have been in implementing plain packaging, the regulation of tobacco, the pricing of tobacco. It's incredibly expensive to purchase a packet of cigarettes in Australia. All of these things have contributed to a reduction in smoking rates and an increased awareness amongst the public of the negative impact of tobacco. And all of that pulled together alongside the superannuation funds becoming more aware of the impact of tobacco beyond their own borders. So in the supply chain, uh, generally from a health perspective and a cost perspective globally, um, all of these things pulled together, together with Dr. King's work in Australia, have enabled a movement to take place in the last five years when we've gone from very few tobacco-free superannuation funds to the latest announcement, which is Australian Super, which is the largest superannuation fund in Australia adopting a tobacco-free position. And it has literally been a case of um, initially the conversation was, well, why would we even think about being tobacco-free to now, why have we not done this yet? Um, And in fact, that has been a conversation with a fund recently as to how to explain to their beneficiaries that they they weren't actually tobacco-free yet. So I think that it's a combination of government input, which has been extremely effective, consumer awareness, which has raised the profile amongst the superannuation funds, and a general willingness to move to tobacco-free because there is nothing beneficial about the investment itself. 
so it's very it's been very easy to move away from investing in tobacco. Where would you point outside of Australia? Sort of country, next, yes. next, the Scandinavian, <laughs> the Nordic countries are very uh, advanced. Holland, particularly, um, they have a large number of tobacco-free funds. Um, Tobacco-free asset manager, uh, Actium, they have Acmea, uh, insurers, ABN AMRO recently have announced that they're no longer financing tobacco companies. Uh, ING have made a recent announcement in relation to some of their investment. Um, all of these are uh, work in progress in terms of moving to completely tobacco-free positions, but they are certainly ahead of the game in comparison to the rest of Europe, certainly. Um, but the Nordic countries, so AP4, which is a big pension fund in Sweden, also tobacco-free. France is also very advanced. So those are the next ones that, that, are, that are moving ahead. And France particularly, the recent announcement of BNP Paribas has... Uh, has really made a, a huge difference to the awareness of tobacco-free. It's gratifying to see there have been a, a long sort of string of, of successes in terms of announcements, mm. um, firms going tobacco-free. Um, we, uh, uh, we saw Australian Super, uh, OP Trust, BNP Paribas, like you said, BNZ, AMP Capital. Um, and most recently we saw the UN Global Compact on October mm. 15th, the statement um, talking about going uh, tobacco-free, which creates sort of an interesting connection between the World Health Organization Convention, the UN Treaty, I mean, as well as the UN SDGs. Um, I mean, it feels like there's a real uh, kind of move to try to think, tie things together around this issue from a policy perspective. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think there is. There is. And most definitely with the latest announcement with UN Global Compact, it really raised the awareness of the fact that, that you know, there is a UN treaty. Uh, and UN Global Compact has these 10 key principles that, uh, that, that we like to use as investors. We like to use that as a framework to identify how we invest and what we, what we think it is appropriate to invest in. And they have, they have raised the awareness of the fact that tobacco companies are unable to adhere to those key principles. And that's really why they can no longer be members. So they've, they've actually sort of put a mark on the map that, that says, you know, if you, want to, if you want to hold up these key principles as ones that are important, then we really need to think further down the line. And one of the, one of the reasons that, um, that they are on that list is because engagement is not possible. Because UN Global Compact allows everybody to be a member if they are trying to achieve their 10 key mm. principles, but they can't. Mm. So, there's, so the, the issue, going back to your earlier question about engagement, it's slightly disingenuous when we try to engage with tobacco companies. Uh, and I think that in a, a number of instances, investors aren't aware of the impact of tobacco, but they feel that if, if they are engaging, then they must be moving towards a positive outcome. And actually, we need to raise the awareness of the fact that that outcome is not going to be positive. Hmm. I wanted to touch on maybe some of the more difficult sort of counter arguments. How do we weigh maybe the longer term uh, benefits to the healthcare system um, against uh, issues around unemployment, which you know are, are mm -hmm. particularly sort of mm -hmm. acute or important mm -hmm. for developing countries? 
There are a number, a number of funds and investors who are looking at impact investing in certain countries. And part of the way that they're looking at this is, you know, what is being farmed? How is it being farmed? Where is it being farmed? And the key issue that the tobacco companies would raise regarding moving away from farming tobacco is exactly that. You know, you're causing unemployment. You're going you know, to cause poverty in the country. Actually, what we need to look at is what do those countries need to grow? What do those individuals need to have? They need income and they need food. If they're growing tobacco, they're not, they, they generally are not growing food because the tobacco has replaced a food crop. We need to look at the impact of tobacco on the soil. The amount of pesticides used is greater than most food crops. So the soil is actually less useful once that crop has been taken away. In addition to which, tobacco requires deforestation alongside the growth of the crop in order to cure it. So we've got a raft of different issues impacting on whether or not a farmer will um, gain benefit from growing tobacco. We also happen to know that uh, in some instances, tobacco companies pre-purchase a crop as in they, they, they guarantee that they will purchase it. The farmers need to pre-purchase pesticides and plants, but the ultimate income that they gain doesn't quite match the costs laid out. Right. They end up in debt. Mm -hmm. So all of these things we need to take into account. So it's really, it isn't a simple equation. Um, and, and we have to recognise that if we stop growing tobacco, that there is going to be a fallow period for the soil. Mm. And we need to step in and we need to enable that to be changed into an alternative crop. And there are successful crops being grown. Yeah. Would you point to any success stories, any countries, for instance, that have... My understanding is that in, in Malawi, uh, there is an you know, experiment with growing legume uh, as a crop instead of tobacco. And not only has that been successful and productive, but it's also more profitable for the farmers. Oh, wow. So I think that, that's a that's a win-win. Um, in Australia as well, there is no longer tobacco farming there. The raft of different uh, climates that they have in Australia has enabled them to grow things as varied as, as lavender and, and wine in the, uh, uh, in, in the soil there. But there was government intervention and, and input into enabling that soil to lie fallow so that it could regenerate. I wanted to wrap up by maybe asking how you think that investors can start the journey to, you know, towards a tobacco-free portfolio. Um, what should investors start to think about, you know, maybe in terms of factors, in terms of how they analyze these issues? How do they begin this journey? I think the very first step is, is, to, is to just review um, the impact of tobacco in a very basic sense. So across social impact, uh, supply chain impact, impact on health systems so for, and financial impact. When we start looking at how it how it impacts on their investment, which I think is where you're headed mm -hmm. uh, with this question. Um, there is what we what is termed regulatory risk and the risk of litigation. We like to say that they're certainties. Regulation is increasing. The FDA this summer noted that they are looking to reduce the amount of nicotine in cigarettes to non-addictive levels. Well, by default, that means that cigarettes will no longer be useful or palatable to individuals because it's the nicotine that's addictive. If we look at the amount of litigation that is outstanding against the companies, we know that there are court cases heading their way. 
even if a quarter of the current amounts awarded to the people, for instance, in Quebec of 16 billion, uh, even if a quarter of that comes through, that's one case out of a number that are pending. That sort of cost is a cost that the tobacco uh, companies are not going to be able to cover. And the reason that they currently cover them is because all of those costs, all the healthcare costs, are externalised. So society is picking them up to the tune of about $1 trillion a year. Mm-hmm. But the tax income is only about $267 billion. So that is, is effectively coming home to roost. And that, from an investor's perspective, is not going to be positive. It is going to have an impact on the dividends paid, the value of the mm-hmm. stock, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I, I'd say those are the two key things to look out for when looking at whether or not they're priced in appropriately. And my sense is that they're not. Um, we're currently looking at developing a model together with um, some key individuals, very kindly funded by Generation Foundation, um, people like Rob Bauer, Professor of Finance at Maastricht, uh, Keith Ambas here, um, Jason, you know, also yourself, you know, great to have your input on this. But, you know, putting together a model that really defines and helps us all ascertain what the impact is going to be. And that will be open. So it will be something that anybody can play with and pick holes in and find a way a way through. But it needs to highlight the fact there is going to be an impact. Well, look, thank you very much uh, for joining Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future. I'm Jason Mitchell, again, sustainability strategist uh, at Man Group. I'm with uh, Dr. Rachel Molsom of Tobacco Free Portfolios. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for our next uh, podcast episode. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future, a podcast about what we're doing today to build a more sustainable world tomorrow. I'm Jason Mitchell, sustainability strategist at Man Group. Thanks for joining us, and special thanks to everyone that helped produce this show. To check out more episodes of this podcast, please visit us at man.com forward slash responsible investment or look for us on iTunes. <laughs>